Chapter 2. The Life of George Washington in Words of One Syllable by Josephine Pollard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of George Washington in Words of One Syllable by Josephine Pollard. Chapter 2. Youth. George was a great pet with his brother Lawrence Washington who thought it would be a nice thing for him to serve on board one of the king's ships of war. While Lawrence was in the West Indies, he was on good terms with General Wentworth and Admiral Vernon, and he had no doubt they would do their best to get his brother a good place. He spoke to George about it, and the boy was wild with joy. His mother's pride was roused with joy, and at first she did not put a straw in his way, but gave him all the help she could. But as the time drew near, her heart, which had been so strong and brave and full of pride, gave way and she felt that she could not part with her dear boy. One of her friends wrote to Lawrence that Mrs. Washington had made up her mind not to let George go to sea. She said that some of her friends had told her it was a bad plan. And I find, said he, that one word against his going was more weight than ten for it. So they gave up the scheme and George was sent back to school. He would, on fine days, go out in the fields and tracts of land around the schoolhouse, and with a line and rod take the size and shape, the length and width, and mark it all down in one of his books. And so much pains did he take that from the first to the last page not a blot or blur is to be seen. These neat ways formed in his youth were kept up through all his life. And what seems strange is that day books, and such books as you will find in great use nowadays, were not known at that time. The plan had been thought out by George Washington when a boy of sixteen, and shows the cast of his mind. Near this time George was sent to live with his brother Lawrence, at his fine place on the Potomac, which he had called Mount Vernon, to show how much he thought of the admiral of that name. Here George had a chance to make friends with those of high rank, and he spent much of his time with George Fairfax, who made his home at Belvoir near Mount Vernon. Lord Fairfax, a man of wealth and worth, was much at Belvoir at the time. He had bought large tracts of land in Virginia, which had not been staked out, or set off into lots. In fact, he did not know their size or shape, but he had heard that men had sought out some of the best spots, and had built homes there, and laid out farms for which they paid no rent, and he thought it quite time to put a stop to such things. In March 1748, George Washington, who had been picked out by Lord Fairfax for this task, went on his first trip with George Fairfax to stake off these wild lands. He wrote down what was done from day to day, and by these notes we learn that he had quite a rough time of it, and yet found much that was to his taste. He and the men with him rode for miles and miles through lands rich in grain, hemp, and tobacco, and through fine groves of trees on the bank of a broad stream. One night, writes George, when they had been hard at work all day, they came to the house where they were to be fed and lodged. The woodmen went to bed with their clothes on, but George took his off, and as he turned in he found his bed was of loose straw, with not a thing on it but the threadbare blanket he was to wrap himself in. The fleas and bugs soon forced George to get up and put on his clothes, and lie as the rest of the men did, and had we not been so tired, he says, I am sure we should not have slept much that night. He made a vow then that he would sleep out of doors near a fire when on such tramps, 
and run no more such risks. On March 18th, they reached a point on the Potomac, which they were told they could not ford. There had been a great rainfall and the stream had not been so high by six feet as it was at that time. They made up their minds to stay there for a day or two, went to see the warm springs, and at night camped out in the field. At the end of the two days, as the stream was still high, they swam their steeds to the Maryland side. The men crossed in birch bark boats and rode all the next day in a rainstorm to a place two score miles from where they had set out that morn. Washington writes that the road was the worst that had ever been trod by man or beast. On March 23rd, they fell in with a score or two of redmen who had been off to war and brought home but one scalp, and they had a chance to see a war dance. The red men cleared a large space and built a fire in the midst of it, round which they all sat. One of the men then made a grand speech in which he told them how they were to dance. When he had done, the one who could dance the best sprang up as if he had just been roused from sleep and ran and jumped round the ring in a queer kind of way. The rest soon joined him and did just as he did. By this time the band made itself heard and I shall have to tell you what a fine band it was. There was a pot half full of water with a piece of deerskin stretched tight on the top, and a gourd with some shot in it, and a piece of horse's tail tied to it to make it look fine. One man shook the gourd, one drummed all the while the rest danced, and I doubt if you would care to hear the noise that was made. Late in the day of March 26th, they came to a place where dwelt a man named Hedge who was in the pay of King George as Justice of the Peace. Here they camped, and at the meal that was spread there was not a knife nor a fork to eat with, but such as the guests had brought with them. On the night of the first of April the wind blew and the rain fell. The straw on which they lay took fire, and George was saved by one of the men, who woke him when it was in a blaze. I have not slept for four nights in a bed, wrote Washington at this time to one of his young friends at home. But when I have walked a good deal in the day, I lie down on a heap of straw or bearskin by the fire with man, wife, young ones, dogs, and cats, and he is in luck who gets the place next the fire. For three years he kept up this mode of life. But as it was a hard life to lead, he could be out but a few weeks at a time. His pay was a doubloon a day and some six pistoles. A doubloon is a gold coin of Spain, worth not quite sixteen dollars. A pistole is a small gold coin of Spain, worth not quite four dollars. This rough kind of life, though he did not know it, was to fit him for the toils and ills of war, of which he may have dreamt in those days, as he still kept up his love for warlike things. While at work on the land round the Blue Ridge, he now and then made his way to Greenway Court, where Lord Fairfax dwelt at this time. Here he had a chance to read choice books, for Lord Fairfax had a fine mind, though his tastes were queer. He lived on a knoll in a small house not more than twelve feet square. All around him were huts for his help. Black and white, redmen, half-breeds, and woodmen thronged the place, where they were sure they would get a good meal. He had steeds of fine breed and hounds of keen scent, for he was fond of the chase, and the woods and hills were full of game. Here was a grand chance for George who had a great taste for field sports, and his rides and walks and talks with Lord Fairfax were a rich treat to the homebred youth. This wise friend lent George good books, 
which he took with him to the woods and read with great care and in this way stored his mind with rich thoughts in virginia there were some few men who had served in the late war twixt england and spain and they put george through such a drill with sword and with gun that he learned to use them both with great skill a dutchman named van brahm was one of these men and he claimed to know a great deal of the art of war he it was that took george in hand to teach him the use of the sword and how to fence when he was nineteen years of age the red men and the french had made such inroads on the front that it was thought best to place men on guard to keep back these foes and uphold the laws of the state of virginia there was need of some one to take charge of the school of arms at one of the chief outposts where the french sought to get a foothold and the choice fell on george washington who set to work at once to fit himself for the place his brother's ill health caused this scheme to be dropped for a time as lawrence was forced to go to the west indies for a change of air and begged george to go with him george gave up all thought of self and the two set sail for barbados september twenty eighth seventeen fifty one at sea he kept a log-book took notes of the course of the winds and if the days were fair or foul and learned all he could of the ways of a ship and how to sail one they reached barbados on november third and were pleased with the place and all the strange sights that met their gaze on all sides were fields of corn and sweet cane and groves of trees rich in leaves and fruit and all things held out hope for cure for the sick man whose lungs were in a weak state they had been but two weeks in barbados when george fell ill with smallpox and this for a time put an end to all their sports but he had the best of care and at the end of three weeks was so well that he could go out of doors lawrence soon tired of this place and longed for a change of scene they had to ride out by the first dawn of day for by the time the sun was half an hour high it was as hot as at midday there was no change in the sick man's health and he made up his mind to go to bermuda in the spring he was lonesome without his wife so it was planned that george should go back home and bring her out to bermuda george set sail december twenty second and reached virginia at the end of five weeks he must have been glad to step on shore once more for the cold winds and fierce storms to be met with at sea at that time of year made life on shipboard something of a hardship lawrence did not gain in health and ere his wife could join him he wrote her that he would start for home to his grave he reached mount vernon in time to die neath his own roof and with kind friends at his bedside his death took place on the twenty sixth of july seventeen fifty two when he was but thirty-four years of age he had been like a father to george and their hearts were bound by ties so strong and sweet that it was a great grief for them to part but george had no time to sit down and mourn his loss there was work for him to do new cares were thrust on him by his brother's death that took up all his time and thoughts for some months and he had to keep up his drills with the men at the school of arms for which he was paid by the state End of chapter two